You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. I have a message I want to share with you. Something the Lord was speaking to me over the last few days. Actually, it came from two different conversations I was having with um, people. Uh, one of them was my son in Tokyo. And that's really where the message, he was asking me some questions, and it just so happened that I, I was already speaking to someone else about this subject. And so when he asked some questions along these lines, I immediately felt that my spirit came online ready to answer because I had been meditating on this. So I quickly wrote down some things for him, and um, this is a little, a little more mentally oriented message, but I think it'll be useful especially to the teachers, preachers, and people here that are receiving the Word of God with the intent of sharing the Word of God, being able to convey to other people the truths that you're learning. And um, I want to start by putting up the title. The title of this message is Word to Mind versus Mind to Word. And basically this title encapsulates two schools of thought that predominate many people's lives or govern people in the way that they discover, study, or live the Word of God. Really two realms, preaching and teaching, but also living. We live God's Word. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path so that we stay on the right course. But the way that we approach God's Word often varies from person to person. And from my experience through the years, I hear preachers, teachers, people who are gifted, in speaking, and I know of one category I particularly like the messages that come from some versus the messages that come from others. Well, through the years, hearing and experiencing different fountains of preaching and teaching, I have kind of isolated what I consider to be the most advantageous messages, or preachers particularly, I'm not going to name names, but ones that really impact me, like the messages they share change me or cause life to rise inside of me. And so by further study, not of the messages themselves, but of the containers through which the messages come, the people I began to study through the years, I also began to study their methodologies concerning ministry in general, but more specifically concerning how do they extract messages from the Bible. How do they come up with messages and teachings? And in thinking about this, I, I find that there are basically these two camps in which people develop messages, preach messages, and teach messages, and I fall into one of these categories. Now, I'm going to choose one over the other simply because I really like um, the word-to-mind category. But there are a lot of ministries who are mind-to-word. And I'm going to qualify this, and then we're going to dissect a passage of Scripture later and see seven things about God's living Word. But in speaking about this, I, I ask this question, how can we have the mind of Christ? Now consider Christ as the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, we were just quoting that out of John. And it says, the person without the Spirit does not accept, this is 1 Corinthians 2.14, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit, Holy Spirit, makes judgments about all things, 
When I say all things, I mean judgments about information. What are you going to judge? You're going to judge things that you receive, whether they are of God, not of God. Discernment is all about knowing what is of the Lord, what's not of the Lord. And that includes what's coming inside of you. Your mind, your thoughts, your ideas. We have all kinds of thoughts. Man's words will never run out. They're constantly speaking. Our thoughts are always speaking to us also. But the person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments or human opinions. And what this is saying is that in life, people will speak and teach. Some preachers will preach a certain way at certain times and then preach differently at other times. Now, these, I will find many preachers or ministers vacillating between these two camps that we're going to see in a moment. And then by, by further analyzing this, I discovered that when they are in the camp of word to mind, their messages are more impacting versus the other. Not that the other messages are not good. Now, I'm going to continue to qualify this in what I'm trying to say. It says, Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. In other words, what this is saying is that somebody, if they're going to teach, if they're going to instruct, they need to do so by what mind? By the mind of Christ. Now, if we have the Holy Spirit and we live in the Spirit, that means that our thoughts, if we are indeed yielding to the Spirit and subject to the Spirit, our thoughts will be governed or directed at least by the Spirit of the Lord. So then how does the Lord speak to us in this day, in this era? Well, it's by His Word. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. Jesus was a walking Word. He was the Bible. And I love that everything He spoke was basically quotes of all the passages of the Old Testament. And some of His things were more of a prophetic flow where He brought new clarity, information, but He was God speaking with us here on earth. And that's why we wrote down all of His words that at least the disciples could remember. And that's why we have the Bible in general, to lead us, to guide us, to speak to us. So our mind really should be the mind of Christ, but how do we do that? Well, we know there's a scripture that talks about the renewing of our minds. Uh, we know in comparison to the husband and wife that we're washed in the water of the Word. We know that there's these changes inside of us. But I want to ask some questions as I want to further uh, illustrate this idea. Uh, first question is, do we train the Word to obey us, or do we allow the Word to train us? Just think about the question for a moment. Do we train the Word? Train means to make it do what you want it. Another way you could say is, do we tame the Word of God, or do we allow God's Word to tame us? What I mean by this is with the human mind, you can take the scriptures and make them say whatever you want them to say. You can put a certain slant or idea or opinion on it. Another question I ask is, um, does the Bible work for you or do you work for the Bible? And this is God's word, of course, when I say the Bible. Uh, does the Bible, do you make the Bible work for you? Or are you, in fact, an employee of the Bible? Uh, another way, another question, because I thought of many. I'm only giving you a fraction of the hundreds I thought of. Uh, do you teach the Bible, or does the Bible teach you? And sometimes, from a theological perspective, we begin to see the Word of God as something that we need to use 
as a resource to teach people. Then that sounds good on the outside, the, the way that I'm saying it, but really the Bible is to, to teach us. And if we begin to think of it as a tool, which it is in some regards, we may miss some of the idea. Another way I say it is, do you use the Bible to minister or does the Bible use you to minister? And in these two camps, word to mind versus mind to word, if it's word to mind, then the Bible is using you to minister itself. And all of this makes sense if you understand, if we go to the next one please, this all makes more sense if you consider the Bible to be alive and not simply a book. And one of the greatest disservices that you can do to God's Word is consider it a book. It's not a book. You cannot possibly put that next to a Jules Verne novel and say they are both books. I don't care how talented the writer, nothing is like the Bible, like the Word of God. The Word of God is a living book. It's alive. Well, you say, well, it's, it's ink on pages. Well, you're bone in flesh, so you're not alive. Your bone inside of you is holding your flesh together. I kind of see logos and rhema like that. The Bible is the skeleton of all the rhema and all the information that is the life of the Word that flows out of it. And sure, people can handle it in such a way that it becomes dead, but that would be more toward those others, the other side of those questions I was asking. If you treat the Word as your slave instead of becoming a slave to the Word, then yes, it could become just logos and could become something. We know this because we see it in the cults. There are many Christian cults who do not have the Spirit of the Lord. They are often doctrinal error and they got there because they were not allowing the Word to train them, but they were training the Word. They were not being tamed by the Word, but they're taming the Word and making it and subjecting it to their will and their purpose. Why? Because they started in mind, then went to Word. But if we start in Word and then go to mind, then the cart, the proverbial cart and horse in their proper order is established. We want the horse in front of the cart, not the cart in front of the horse. So it's the same, same thing with this principle. And this helps you understand what I'm trying to get at when you think of the Bible as a living book, which it is alive. And that scripture that I mentioned a moment ago, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25, the second half to verse 26, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So the Bible is meant to change us. We are not meant to change the Bible. And I really find this mind-to-word principle flowing through a lot of theologians. And that's why some of our translations of the Bible are really messed up. Because they approach the translation of the Bible from a more logistical standpoint of making sense and thereby nullify a lot of the inherent qualities or the, the beauty of what the Bible is really saying in the original languages. But they want it to make sense. They want you to be able to read it and get it. So they use their mind and they have tamed the Word of God to become something like the message or, you know, I'm not criticizing uh, if you have the message. It's okay for colloquial, comfortable reading, just going through it. But if you're really wanting the Word to transform you, you're going to have to 
understand it in a better translation. And you say, well, what translation should I use? I, I teach out of the NIV, but you'll find that I'm always correcting it. I always say, actually, you know, really, the reason I use the NIV is because I found out that here in Asia and in many parts of Southeast Asia, that's pretty much the standard English Bible. Everybody kind of goes back to that. And when I pull in other translations, if I pull out the King James and people get a little lost and it's kind of archaic, the phraseology and the way it works, they're not as comfortable. So I use it, but I always have to explain peripheral explanations about what it really means. And it's not that I have this great revelation. I'm, that's not even speaking out of revelation. It's speaking out of just studying the Bible. Literally. In other words, seeking, looking, going deep into it and allowing it to transform me. Asking it questions as if it is a person. Let it be alive to me. And it will begin to explain itself to you in beautiful and wonderful ways. Instead of you using it to explain your thoughts. And really that's what it comes down to. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, which I could consider to be the logic of man, the wisdom of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So basically, let's start a little bit more about mind to word. This is really confidence in self. And a minister who philosophically teaches the kingdom from their philosophies about the kingdom often will get in the habit of coming up with ideas in their mind. In other words, I'll tell you how this, this methodology works. You're a pastor, you're a leader, you're a teacher. And you just decide, you know, I have to make some sense of this issue, whatever the topic is. And so you have some bright ideas. So you take a notepad, and you do believe that you're being led by the Spirit. It's very possible God is speaking to you. But your initiating or starting point is your mind. So you jot down these five things that really help you like wrap your mind around a certain concept. Then you go to the Bible to choose and handpick passages to substantiate each of those points. You understand? This is mind to Bible. That's what I mean. I know pastors that only do this. And honestly, it's very good. Fascinating. I wouldn't always say it's anointed. I wouldn't always say that it's alive with the Spirit. I won't even always say that I remember it forever. But when they teach it because they are wise men. How many of you know man can be wise? We're created in the image and likeness of God. And even on our own without Him, we are amazing. Honestly, I see, I see men doing things and I'm blown away. Because they're coming out, out of their mind. They, I look at Elon Musk, what he's doing right now. I don't know if you've seen the last presentation of uh, SpaceX and what they're doing. He, he is seriously... Uh, trying to give us um, space travel from point to point on Earth. That uh, you're talking anywhere on the planet in less than an hour. Most places on the planet within 30 minutes. And you're thinking, well, you know, that's just a dream we've all heard. No, no, no. He's he's it, within this year he's beginning the construction of the craft that will do this. 
He said uh, he announced in his thing he had uh, fourteen or sixteen straight. I think it is sixteen straight landings with no error. They've gotten so many of the bugs worked out in the way you ever see their spaceship actually lands now. It comes down, goes into space, delivers the capsule or the pot, and then the delivery system comes back down to Earth and lands, like in a sci-fi movie. It's, at first it was wobbly, there were some of them that fell, but now, the last 16 of them, now it's beautiful. You watch the last ones, it's like shh, it's like watching a car pull into a car park. Amazing. And then he said in the presentation, actually, um, we don't need the landing gear anymore. Because it's so precise now. The algorithms that were developed, always developed around the technology, that those are redundant now. Those are just to keep it from what now it's, and you can see in the last landings, it just looks fake. Just doop, it lands. So now, this next rocket he's going to build is several times the size of his Falcon 9 rocket, and it, the top part of it is, that it is an, in its mass, it's the size of an A380. And the pod of it that will bring, that he even named his missions of what he'll do. He'll go to the space station to deliver things. He will, it is to go to the moon, already moon base coming. And um, Mars, by 2022, he will have cargo orbiting Mars ready for the manned missions in this one craft that he's designed. It's really quite a thing of beauty. Where did that come from? Did God give him that? No, that's just a smart guy. I'm just saying all this to say. Now, I would hope, that means in our lifetime, you think, well, that's going to be very expensive. No, he even said that it would cost the same as a commercial airline ticket today. In fact, in fact, probably less. Because of the way he figured out. We're talking, he could fit like 250, 300 people in that capsule and carry it. Imagine 30 minutes from here to Houston, Texas. I'm all for that. I'm all, I will pay. I would pay double, wouldn't you? Instead of going on a 20-hour flight, if you can get there. Of course, at that presentation, now many very intelligent people in the airline industry um, started getting a very queasy feel. Because you realize he can eradicate if he really does this. And so far, anything that brilliant man has decided to do, yeah. he has done it. Yeah. He said, who's going to self-driving electric cars? That's crazy. Done. He's like one of the one of the highest stocks out there because he's actually making it. He said, like, I'm going to put a tunnel. So cars can go under Los Angeles, and he, no, who's going to do it? He's almost done. The tunnels are in. He's doing it. And this guy, everything, you know, Hyperloop, he's doing it. He's doing it. They're constructing the Hyperloop now. So this is just the next thing he's going to do. And I thank God, this is what I'm saying, I thank God for the intelligence of man. Within the realms of Earth, thank God for the minds of man. I thank God for the creators of Star Trek Discovery. What a great television show. I just watched it. I was so happy. The new Blade Runner movie. I can't wait to go see it. I love creativity. But when it comes to God's Word, who's higher, man or God? And that's really what this comes down to. If we're confident in ourselves, our ability to teach and preach and explain and do all those things, we will approach God's Word from a philosophical perspective and think we understand life. I've got this figured out. Let me explain it to you with the Bible. But actually, you are, you are using, you understand, you're employing the Bible. You're taming the Bible. You're controlling the Bible to do for you what you want it to do. I think that's dangerous. 
Uh, this is a man who's using the Bible to convey his ideas. Now, I'm not saying it's always wrong. In an administrative perspective, often church leaders become popular because they get really good at administrating facilities and ministries. And they call that success, which it is. But that is not necessarily revelation that God is speaking. That's just smart men again. And I think God uses smart people. Obviously, Daniel was not a dummy. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were found to be superior to all the others in all the sciences. That means these guys had the ability to learn. They were intelligent. Joseph was not an idiot. You know, I don't picture Joseph, stupid guy. No, he, he wouldn't have been able to figure out all that he figured out. Oh, said so because God's spirit was on him. Well, you know, he had an excellent spirit. That's what it said about Daniel. He had an excellent spirit, small s. Meaning that he of himself. So that's good, but I'm talking specifically when it comes to relating to the Word of God. And what I recommend that you do is don't come up with an idea and then go look for scriptures to back it up. But go with a blank palette, a white canvas, and open your Bible. Let it control you. Let it tell you what life is. Let it dictate to you. Become that to the word, a slave to the word. Remember this, considering that, that, you know, the first one, mind to word, uh, requires that you trust your thought processes. It requires that you believe in yourself enough and you think, well, I am educated. I do have a lot of experience. I've, thought, I've, I've really thought this through because I do have a lot of experience and I have been teaching the Word for a long time and I've produced many writings and basically if you saw it as a thesis, I've written many. I, if I were calibrated by some institution and sat down with them, then I would have you know multiple masters in what I do. I've just never gone the scholastic route. I don't really care to because I just want God to be glorified in all things. It'd be an advantage to have a doctorate. I've been offered them more than a few times. And institutions have said, look, we've seen your body of work. We really like this. You know, if you come and you are part of this group and that and the other, uh, we can make you a doctor. And we will give you this and give you that. And I turn it down every time. Usually because it, had, it also comes with some type of financial thing I had to do. So you can go in the back of Charisma Magazine and buy a doctorate. Literally, just buy it and just send them a couple of sheets of paper. So don't believe everything. Every time you see doctor, you ever notice that trend? It was in the 19, late 1990s into this 2000 and beyond. Like every time you see a pastor, a leader, a preacher, it's doctor this, doctor that, doctor. That's what happened. And somebody came along and said, you know, I can make you a doctor. Just pay me, you know, $5,000 and an annual fee of this much. And I've had people offer me that, writing me and telling me. But I've had other people offer for free and I still don't want it. Because I don't trust myself, honestly. Because I don't have confidence in myself. Why? Because I've made a lot of mistakes with the Bible. You understand? When I've taken the Bible and used it, I'm constantly having to correct myself to realize that what I used it to do is not really what it means. Some of these things are so obviously wrong now from my current perspective that if I had just read verse 14 and 16 and hadn't only isolated verse 15 it would have made sense five years ago but I was still see you start thinking you can't just pull a verse out crochet it on your t-shirt 
and say, this is what it means. You, you've got to look at context, the ideas, everything. And you're going to find that out about the living word in the end when we see my, one of my favorite passages, which we're going to break down. But now I want to go to the next one and explain a new word to mind. This is confidence in God. This is putting the word above all things. In other words, putting Jesus, he's the word made flesh, Put Him, the words of God, above all things. Bow in deference to Him with confidence in Him with a distrust towards your own mind. Remember, your mind is an enemy of God. The fleshly mind. If we have the mind of Christ, as we read in that introductory scripture, well, that's different. So how do we get the mind of Christ? Well, we've already established that washing of the water of the Word. In other words, we put Word first, we put the Word inside of us, Just keep, that's why I, I so believe in constantly reading the Bible. Whether you think you're getting anything out of it or not, you're still putting it in there, so your base, your, your source of information, one of the reasons why I don't read a lot of preacher books, I don't read a lot of these, there's lots of great books out there, I know I have been given hundreds of books that I've not read. And I'm, I smile, and I say, oh, thank, praise God, thank you. And I, I don't throw them out. I value that somebody made that book, but often somebody comes along and sees it. Oh, I heard it's a good book. I'm like, oh, would you like it? <laughs> so I've just become kind of a revolving door of books. You say, why? Don't you want to hear? I oh, know I like what other people have to say. I just, studying it, I don't know. I'd rather just go to the Bible and read what it says and let it teach me, show me. Now, testimonials are different, however. Somebody's just sharing their... I, I have read many biographies. And I've read autobiographies. But biographies are better. Because I like when people write about some of these great men and women of God. I love reading those testimonies. But often preacher books, not, not so much. I'm a little more careful about what I read because I, I, don't, I don't trust me and I don't trust man entirely and their ideas trust the Spirit. And I can tell when the Spirit is speaking through a message and it's usually because it is word to mind. Somebody's reading the Scripture, it comes upon them. They don't have any explanations. They don't know what it is. It's just the word. Raw data, logos come into them. It's beautiful and they just have a feeling. Something's here. I need to figure this out. And it's like a treasure hunt. See, that's word first and your mind running after it. Now I need to figure this out. And so then it breaks down, segmented in compartments. Now, that may lead you as a template to other passages, but what are you doing? You're qualifying the Bible with the Bible. So you're using verses to explain the sections of what you've discovered. And that way you are safe in knowing that it is God and His opinion because it's His Word. And they have your flavor about it. It may have your slant according to your personality. It may uh, be part of you, but that's okay. That's different, you understand, than mind to word where you thought, hmm, let me think about this. I believe, and you say what you believe, like it says in the Bible, like that. Then you're, that's a different route. I, I've always kind of leaned, I do both ends of this. And the irony of this is this message tonight really is mind to word. <laughs> the last part will be word to mind. But I'm telling you that, so I'm not excluding it. This is just an idea that came to me that I'm explaining, but you will see it later, the passage that started it all. But so far you could say, well, Stephen, you're kind of doing mind to word right now. 
you're telling us what you think and then showing us yeah but watch the, the, the last part I think will redeem me in your eyes <laughs> understand this we are the workmen of the word workmen study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed but says rightly dividing the word of truth and IV says um, um, handling, <laughs> handling. And so I thought, well, maybe it's not. Maybe uh, in 1611, the dividing means handling. No, it means cutting into pieces. <laughs> Literally, the Greek word means cutting into pieces. And that's what this is talking about: the word of truth. What is the word of truth? The word of truth is what God speaks to us. It's the Bible. It's the words that He gives us. So. To rightly divide it means you take a bulk of it, like picture a birthday cake, and you can cut a cake wrongly. I have seen it done in our own kitchen when I'm working. I, I, I like to cut the cake because I'm very precise. But I've seen other people say, oh, you want a piece of cake? And you're like, cut, it's like on an angle, it's wrong, it's twisted, it's cut into my other piece. Now I have to kind of every other piece now has to be on a funky angle and there's a, there's a right way and a wrong way to cut a cake. And really it's true. And then this is something really amazing about the Word of God. You'll often find that the Word of God as it is presented in print has been wrongly divided. Even chapters. They'll put the chapter number and it breaks the continuity of a whole thought. Like cuts it in half, dissects it and makes it a whole thing. That's why often chapters will start and say, for this reason. What reason? What are we talking about? You might be walking in your house all of a sudden. Well, see, that's why. Did I miss something? Were we talking before this? That the Bible does it a lot. So be real careful with your study Bibles when they're compartmentalized in sections because often they were not rightly divided. It's good that you see context and some of them are pretty good, but be real careful with it. A workman that needed not be ashamed. Why? Because it's a shame when you don't meet the approval of God in the way that you present His truth. If He's trusting me with the Holy Word of God, I want to make sure that I know how to cut that cake properly. I want Him to look at the slice of cake on the plate and say, Stephen, that is a magnificent slice of cake. That's flawless. That cake slice is exactly like that cake slice. You did it perfectly. Just do it correctly. And if I can't do it correctly, I don't do it. You know, I'm really bad at carving a roast. My wife yells at me. You're doing it wrong. I'm like, uh, uh, it's just me. You cut it right. No. The grain is, so she tells me the grain. I don't even see what she's talking about. What grain? It's meat. Just... I just want to cut it and eat it. No, but if you cut it this way and that way, if you do it this way, the juices will run out and the juices will retain the blah, 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 blah. I don't know. So you know what? I don't, I don't cut She'll even, to this day, 30 years later, we've been married, uh, she'll say, um, honey, cut, cut the roast. Like, uh, uh, why? Just cut it. No, no. I don't want to cut it. Just, cut, just you know, just do it the right way. That's exactly it. That's why. I don't know how to cut it. But honestly, after I've trained myself through all these years of seeking the Lord, after after this season of service thus far, 
I can cut that cake. I know how to cut the Bible in a way. And that too, I do not, I'm not in a hurry. I don't take the cake and just start cutting. I look at it. I walk around the cake. So that when I do cut it, I don't cut Johnny's name in half. <laughs> Happy birthday, Johnny. I would like this one slice to have Johnny written. Wouldn't that be nice? If, and if you take a little bit of time to cut it right, the division can be nice. You don't cut through the middle of a candle. You know, this, you just, you can do it. I'm using the analogy and extending it probably further than it has integrity to remain whole. But <laughs> rightly dividing the word means take the passage, break it down. It is our job and we must do our job. Hebrews chapter 4, uh, we have to do, must allow God's word to live through us. And this is the point I'm getting to. Because the Bible is alive, it cannot manifest itself except through us. So how do we not kill it? How do we not offer it as a dead body? How can it live through us? Well, the Word of God is quick, that means alive, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Another translation says, to whom we have to give account. And in this passage, which is one of my favorite passages of the Bible, I love Hebrews. Hebrews just has so much deep wisdom in it that it's like a rich cake. If a cake is very rich, people don't want a whole slice. They'll actually say, can you like cut me half a slice? When I was growing up, we had this cake we called a Russian cake. And it was made in bakeries that would take all, like when they would prep the cakes, they would have all the cuttings of cakes, all the pieces, they would put it all together and smash it, pressurized into a pan. And then they would take this liqueur, amaretta, and they would pour it into it and soak it and smash it down and rebake it and made this almost like bad fruitcake density. You know, a real bad fruitcake is like a, a brick, like a cement brick. Uh, this cake was like that. You, you could not eat a lot of this cake. Like fruitcake. Most people don't even like fruitcake. By the way, I love fruitcake. I will receive your donations. Every year I end up with five of them in my house. I love fruitcake. But this Russian cake was like that. When you bought it, they sold small slices. Costs the same as a big slice of any other cake because of its density. Hebrews is like that. And the more dense the passage, you'll find that even one verse may have three or four things in it that you yeah. have to talk about separately. If you try to lump it all together, you just can't. And this is what I want to do. Actually, kind of a demonstration of what I'm talking about. This very passage, I'm going to cut this cake up right in front of your eyes. Right here, right now. This is God's Word living through man. Seven things. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. Uh, number one, God's Word is alive. For the Word of God is quick. That word in the Greek means alive. It's just the King James Version. It's like the quick and the dead means the living and the dead. And in this case, we know that God's Word is alive. That's been the whole premise of why I'm teaching you what I'm, I'm teaching you. And I think you believe me. And this word here... Alive, it means that it is not dead. God's not dead. No, He is alive. 
Uh, just as Jesus rose from the dead, He is His Word, and it is alive and well, and it's breathing, and it's so powerful. One of the strangest things that has ever happened to me was in 1995. Uh, a lot of strange things happened to me that year. Because it was a time of raw Holy Spirit teaching. He came and just every day there were lessons. I felt like I was in a Bible school with the Holy Spirit. And one day he was talking to me about this subject. And I had a physical Bible and I opened it up and I was sitting on a wooden bench in my house that we had against the back window. I'll never forget the spot, the place, where I was. And the ceiling fan was going and, and I had my Bible out. And I just, I just was having this kind of a warm fuzzy about the fact that I had a Bible. Do you ever get that feeling? Sometimes you just get this, we have the Word. Like you get excited about it. I was, that day I was really excited. This is, what a gift. What a beautiful thing. We have this. There are people who don't. For, for, for many, many centuries, people did not have what we have today. We do have it now. And I'm looking at it, and I said, it's just, it's alive. And the Lord says, it is alive. He said, he said touch it. And I thought, like, metaphorically, touch it with my heart. And he said, no, put your hand on it. And this is the weirdest thing, okay? This, uh, I'm maybe I'm glad that there's no recording. Or oh, there is recording. Uh-oh. But anyway, you can hear it anyway. I don't care what people think. They already know I'm crazy. So I took the Bible. And I put my hand on it. I swear to you, uh, when I touched it, I felt heat and like a vibration, like a quick pulse. And it so frightened me, I like pulled my hand back. But when I pulled my hand back, I swear to you, I'm not lying, the Bible was stuck to it. Up here. And I looked up, and the physical Bible was glued to my hand. The paper, like, stuck. I had my hand on the paper, and I pulled it back, and then looked up, and that feeling grew. It, it's like it got stronger and stronger. I felt it rushing down my arm. I was scared. I literally was trying to get it off of my hand. When I did, my whole body started convulsing. I fell on the floor. I'm flipping around on the floor with a Bible stuck on my hand. Just screaming. Ah, ah. Finally, I put it down on the ground like that. And then my hand came off. And I just started weeping and weeping and weeping. And the Lord said, I told you. <laughs> and it stuck in my head. I know that sounds like an infantile little lesson. But I thank God, since that moment, any Bible I look at, I kind of look at it. <laughs> I'm afraid of it almost because it's a living thing. I know it's alive. It's just as alive in this laptop. It's just as alive in my phone. And I don't want the Lord to make it stick to my hand and prove it to me. I got the lesson. I understood it. So, Stephen, why does the Lord do things like that? Because I was really hard-headed. I've always been hard-headed. And he had to. I gave him license one day. I remember years ago. I said, Lord, this is what I want for you, okay? He said, I'm very difficult. I'm hard-headed. Um, don't be gentle with me. Okay? I want, when you need to do something, you need to change something, use a chainsaw. I want to hear it. I want you to cut me. I, I mean, just bat me around, Lord. I want you to hit me. I want, that was my first encounter. What I asked for was just force. I want the fire of God to consume it. And that's exactly what I got. 
And ever since then, every lesson is extreme. <laughs> because that's my personality. You might be gentle. Lord, I just want you to whisper it to me. No, not me. I want him to scream it to where my ears ringing for a week. Why? Because I, I like that. I'm, I like the extreme of it. And to me, the Word of God is that way. I weep over the Bible all the time because it's alive. It's alive. I have a love relationship with the Bible. When I tell you I love the Bible. You see, this is why in that same year, I stopped thinking of the Bible as a book. Now, any Bible, whenever I see a Bible anywhere, even in a bookstore, I will hug it. I don't know why. It's just an impulse. I'll pick it up and I'll hug it like it's a baby. It's a living thing to me. Because it is. It is alive. Number two. It says God's Word is powerful. Powerful. This word actually, it's not the same word as we use for power in other places in the Scripture. It means effectual. Or extremely effective. And really it's only used three times in the Bible, this particular word. In the other places, it's translated effective or effectual. In the King James here, it calls it powerful, which has the same connotations or the same idea, but it's a specific word, and that is exactly what the Word of God is. There's nothing that it cannot do. What is effective in life? If, if you have a job to do, you may need a specific tool that is effective for that task. It's hard to unscrew a screw with a hammer. You may be able to put the end of the claw into the groove and try. How many of you have done that? I've done that before. Try and, and then you booger up the top and you bend it, and then the screwdriver won't even work when you finally get it. And uh, then through measurable circumstances, trying to use the wrong tool for the wrong job. But if you have a really good tool, I like when you have a very powerful electric screwdriver and you have a bit, a lot of screws to put in. It's glorious. You know, you just. Put them all in like that. I did roofing work in the United States for quite some time, and we used to lay four foot by eight foot sheets of plywood on the joists of the roof first before we laid tar paper, and then we put shingles down. And when we would lay those boards, there was a time when I first started doing, you would actually have a pouch full of nails. You take one nail at a time and blump, 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 blump. And I got pretty good at that, but then I got on a job site that had pneumatic tools. Air pressure guns. Glorious. Literally, you would just walk. Ten penny nails all the way in one shot. Bam! Bam! Now don't put it, it'll go right through your foot. Right? I had one idiot I was working with, he was on the roof and he shot him out into the yard at me. He pulled the safety back and went pop, 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 like a machine gun, and I saw ten penny nails flying through the air. I ran away. I thank God they didn't hit But that that's an effective hammering tool. More than a hammer, more than it's it's really a wonderful tool. That's what the word of God is for every job. The Bible always if you let the Lord show you how to use it, there's nothing that it's not able to do. Now, we're just getting started with the qualities of the living Word of God here. Number three, it says His, His Word, God's Word is sharp. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Sharp here means it slices in two in a single blow. I know that's a lot, but that's exactly what the Greek word means. It compares it. If you go into diction, a, a Greek dictionary, 
uh, it'll compare to other words that mean to chop on something. This means samurai sword. This is the guy you see that they throw the watermelon in the air and he goes right through it and the watermelon still looks like one watermelon till it hits the ground and it falls in two pieces. That's what this word sharp means. That's why it's specifically mentioned in conjunction with a two-edged sword. Razor sharp. There were no, you didn't, warriors did not leave their swords dull. They were sharp. You needed them sharp enough that you could behead someone or dismember them, remove an arm, something. You wanted a sword, nobody wanted a dull hacking sword. You just go around beating the enemy with it until he's like, ah, oh, you're hurting me. No, you want, a, you want a sharp sword. That's what this word means. It means one blow. One slice. Shoop. How many of you have ever felt God's word do that to you? You read something and you're like, <laughs> and you realize something happened. You don't even know it yet, and then like half of your body slides off the top. Cuts you right in half. That's what his word does. It's powerful. It's sharp in a single blow. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. I like, I always invite his word to cut me. Some, some preachers talk about these two edges so that one edge cuts things in front of you. The sword of the Spirit can be used to cut the enemy and cut through the circumstances of life and the other side is to cut you. <laughs> so it cuts in both directions. Whatever the case, I, I'm really more concerned about it cutting me and you know, anytime you handle a sharp knife, be very careful. You know, if I, if I handed you a knife and said, hey, it's really really sharp. How many of you would take great care? You'd be very careful in the way you take it like this and you know because you know if you have you ever been cut by a really sharp knife you, you just touched it. How many of you stupidly touched it to see if it was sharp and cut your feather over? Because a sharp enough knife will do that. By the way if you want to know how to make your knife razor sharp it's not with a sharpening stone. It's leather. You need leather. Get it sharp with the stone, and when you finish, you get a leather, you need a strip of leather, a leather belt will work. And then you just smooth it on that leather, it will get like a razor. But be really careful. You can cut a chicken, and you'll take your finger off and don't even know it. And that's why most people do not leather sharpen their kitchen appliances. But that's what this word means. I'm trying to illustrate to you. When you pick up the sword of the Spirit, be very Careful, it can cut your hand off. It's razor sharp. It's powerful. If you give it that kind of a respect, you will handle it with great care so that you can be sure that it only cuts the right thing at the right time. You want to be careful. Now, that's one thing it does, but I like this next one. It says, number four, God's word is piercing. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. Now I could have further broken this down into many slices, but I kept it together because we only have an hour. God's word is Christian. This actually it means to reach through or penetrate. Not to poke. It's not meant to poke you. It goes all the way through. It comes out the other side. That's how the word is not just sharp. But if you use it this way, it will slice in half. If you use it this way, it will go straight through, come out the other side, pierces 
without stopping. But you say, what if there's a bone in the way? No. It'll go straight through the bone. That's why it says it. it how many of you have ever seen a knife that sharp? Or a butcher with a really big cleaver? Those big choppers you see in the market, you go buy meat, and that guy takes that thing, and you can't even see. It's like, it looks like a painting of a bone and meat. It went straight through a huge bone. There's knives that sharp. Really amazing. And that's what this is talking about. That if once it goes through, it'll go through the meat, through the bone. It'll pierce it straight through. Gives you a healthier respect for what God's Word can do if you receive it correctly. God's Word gets straight through the barrier. By the way, it will work on your behalf to defend you and protect you. Remember, it is God. It is God manifested in words written. But the rhema of it is so powerful. When you're walking through life, use the Word. Speak the Word. If there is a barrier in front of you and you want to pierce it, just quote the Bible. That's all you have to do. Just say what the Bible says. Well, the Word of God says, it says this. I'm not, a, I'm not one of those guys that goes around quoting verses to everybody all the time. I mean, I may quote verses when I'm preaching, but out in life, you know, I don't just, you know, everybody, people randomly on the train platform just quoting verses to them. However, if I get into any kind of conversation, yes, I start. And it's so funny, I've often I will say, and they will say, if it's a Buddhist or, or a Muslim or so, they will say, yeah, that's really good words. And I will then give the glory to God. I said, actually, that's from the Bible. Jesus said that. Or that is in the Old Testament. Or Because those words, they knew, they felt it go straight through them. And use it that way, remembering that it can pierce straight through. Not just joints and marrow, because that's the physical comparison, but it's talking about soul and spirit. The division of soul, your mind, your emotions, and your will your own will can misguide you where your spirit will always, in other words, it will go in and divide your soul and make it stand over here while your spirit can properly speak. And that way you can discern or speak. I'm getting ahead of myself because that's, that's the dimensions of the next part of the verse, which is number five, is a discerner of the thoughts. Later we'll get to the intense part. But the discerner of the thoughts in other words, God's Word discerns thoughts. And uh, this word uh, means discriminating the thoughts of your mind. In other words, not just accepting, because you have a lot of thoughts. That's why the renewing of your mind comes from the Word. Because the Word will discriminate, stand in a room of thoughts, and choose the ones to expel. Throw that out, throw that out. Bad idea, bad idea, bad idea. Everybody else. You, you, you can stay. And that's what the Bible will do. You read it, and the, the erroneous thinking that culture has taught you, that even mommy and daddy may have taught you, or auntie, uncle, cousin, friends, school, all kinds of things in this life can give us the wrong ideas and thoughts, but God's Word will renew that Jesus will stand in your mind as the Word living and command those thoughts to go away. And the, all you have to do is yield to it. That's how you take every thought captive and make it subject to Christ. You feed it to the discerner of thoughts. The discriminator. He, he is very discriminating when it comes to what's inside of your brain. 
and what's inside of your mind because he doesn't want you to get off into error. And that's your thoughts. Now, thoughts are different than this next thing. By the way, um, thoughts, used of thoughts, this word, when Jesus said he knew them, Remember, he um, four times in the Bible it appears, in the other passages in the Gospel where Jesus said He knew their thoughts. Everywhere it says He knew their thoughts when they were murmuring in their heads and stuff like that. This Greek word. It's only four times it shows up in the Bible. And the other occasions outside of Hebrews, that's what it was. That Jesus knew. So Jesus is the master of thoughts. They are subject to all thoughts are known to Jesus. So he can come in and discriminate or discern those thoughts. But he also will discern the next thing. Number six, God's Word discerns motives. Because it said it's a discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What is your heart intending? And of course I looked this up. This means thoughtful reasoning. In the sense that what is the motive in a court of law? If you want to find out someone, if you're investigating and you're trying to discover, you're doing discovery of a certain problem or person that you are speaking to and you're asking them questions to get them to do what? To You're trying to expose the why. Why? And even detectives will start to think, okay, what motive would this man have to kill his wife? In murder cases, they do. Why? What's the reason? Because there might not be a clear motive, and if there's not, they won't be able to process that case and incriminate that individual or at least find out the truth. They need to establish motive and intent. And this is another thing that the Word of God will reveal to you. The God's Word, if you read it, it will expose to you why. And so if you can get the why answered, then the what will vanish and all the wrong choices will go away because you'll know I'm motivated by the wrong thoughts. And if I'm motivated by the wrong thoughts, Jesus once again did this. You have not the concerns of God in mind, but the concerns of man. When Peter wanted to preserve Jesus and not have him go get crucified. And he called him Satan. Because his intent, his motive, Inside it was not so much to valiantly protect Jesus as it was to preserve his own life. And it was exposed by what? The living Word of God. I know this happens to me all the time when I read the Bible. I have feelings and ideas. I'm not sure about why, but then I read the Bible and I realize that that's why. It explains it to me. God's Word is so wonderful to discern thoughtful reasonings. If I can establish why I'm feeling certain feelings, then I can change those feelings. If it's jealousy, Lord, show me that I'm jealous. Then why am I jealous? Show me that too. If you get in a real introspective and honest conversation with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, while holding the Bible, the living book in front of you, and looking into the perfect law of liberty, continuing in it, not walking away from it like a man that looks at himself in the mirror and just leaves, but you become a doer of the Word, then it does its whole process in you, and this intent, the motive is exposed by the Word. Isn't it beautiful? What God's Word can do for us? And the seventh and final one, we're going to end here. God's Word sees everything. That's the quote from Woody from the Toy Story. We toys see Everything. His head turns around. 
Neither is there any creature that is not manifest, made visible in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him to whom we have to do or we have to give account. God's Word sees everything. There's nothing hidden from the Word. You read the Bible. If you read it, you, there's, you can hide nothing. You're totally exposed. It is a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path. But you can't even measure, measure the candle power. It's so bright. It's so bright, so strong. I know they have these new special LED lights, supposed to be the brightest flashlights ever created. You see them in these airplane magazines. You see them advertised on Facebook adverts. This is the strongest flashlight ever made. No, God's flashlight is a lot stronger. Let the light of the Word of God shine into you. And there's nothing that can hide. And I personally think that is a good thing. Amen? Now we'll review in, in light of what we just saw, uh, word to mind versus mind to word. We saw mind to word is confidence in self, really. That's you are a philosopher. you got some great ideas. I can prove it to you. Look, the Bible says this. That supports this. And the Bible says this over here. That supports that. And you pick and choose like fruit in the market, exactly the right fruit that you want and the right things to make your pretty assortment. And it's beautiful. And I can serve it to you and you will be very grateful because it's delicious fruit. But actually, does it really connect? Or is it just supporting now, I'm going to give you an example of, uh, I'm going to name a, a preacher that almost always does mind the word, and he's really good. So it's not always going to go the wrong way. His name's Larry Stockstill. I get his blog, often I will repost it on my Facebook, I, and it's always him thinking. He's a great, he's of our age and time in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today. He's one of the greatest philosophers I've ever heard. And everything he says, I'm like, that's really good. But I can always see that it's coming out of the experience in life and his ideas and his principles. And he doesn't make any bones about it. He makes it clear. This is what I've learned. This is what I feel. And some of those things will really touch me. But I can't take it really as a prophetic word from God. I just take it as man's wisdom from someone who's a good man. And that's okay too. But then you have word to mind, which is confidence in God. And then we don't trust ourselves. We trust only the Lord. Then you go to the Word and it is able. This is how it becomes a living Word through you. To you. And now God can only be as real through you as He is to you. So if you're going to use the sword of the Spirit, you need to learn how to get cut. If you're going to walk through this, you need to know His Word is alive. His Word is powerful. His Word is sharp. One blow. His word is piercing. It doesn't stop halfway through, even if there's a bone in the way. It's going straight through. God's word discerns thoughts, discriminates, and says, this is the right thought, that's the wrong thought. It would be like a, it would be like a racist if thoughts were ethnicities. He would come in and want only a black neighborhood and throw all the white people out. I made sure I didn't say that the other way around. <laughs> Or be like a Hispanic neighborhood, and I want to put all the Chinese people out. We only want Hispanics in my neighborhood. No Chinese. Or the other way around. That's discrimination. You can't do that. That's illegal in the United States of America, and we can't do that. But basically, that's kind of a good example of what this is doing. So you have this big population of thoughts in your head. You let the word in there, and he's going to walk in there and start throwing people out. Yeah. 
And it hurts. Some of those thoughts have been hanging around with you for a long time. They've been friends since you were a little kid. They were your daddy's friend. And you they stay your friend. And you walk with them all these years. This is so close. And then suddenly the word says, no, 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 they gotta leave. But he's been my friend my whole life. But this has been my best friend. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Out. And he will do that. Now, sometimes when you start to feel the word doing that, you back off of the word. And you may go back toward this other side, mind word. Well, maybe it doesn't really mean that. Because I think, there it goes. What I really believe is, you know, like the Bible says, this, no, you just, you, you got to that side again. And sometimes we're like that proverbial pendulum swings back and forth to these different categories. But I say, hang out on this side. Live word first. Just take the word and let it cut you to pieces. Let it run spear straight through you and pop out your back. Let it cut you like the ninja or like the samurai sword. Just slash. How many ever play that game on your phone? Slice the fruit? That's the word. Just let it cut you up in pieces. It's a good thing. Let it discern your thoughts. Let it discern your motives. What reasons do you have for being like you are, doing what you do, making those choices you make? God's Word will tell you whether you can handle it or not. And sometimes when you can't handle it, you go run back over to mind the Word. Because it's just too, it's getting too real now. That's too close to where I live. That's okay. Just come back later. But be careful not to stay over there because that's where cults form. That's where false doctrines come from. That's where man perverts the Word of God and makes it say whatever he wants it to say. Before long, every sort of everything you will justify and accept and live just by your own rules and, and just put little, little scripture band-aids on all your wounds. And say, see, I have the Word. No, you're all, you're bruised and battered and hideous and you're just putting little verses on you. That's not how it's supposed to. You're supposed to live in the Word of God. God's Word sees everything. And He'll show you everything. Amen. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.